0: You see the check? You know that part's going to fit. eBay Motors. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Gain presents a tale of longing and long-lasting scent. Dear love of my life, we were on the 12B bus when I caught a whiff. A scent so fresh, so life-changing, I had to find its source. I didn't know if you were the woman in the pink freshly washed cardigan or the retired mailman next to me, but I knew one of you. Was my soulmate. Ah, the scent of gain flings. Add gain scent
1: beads for an even longer lasting scent. This is Brent Ivinson with Ideal Home Loans, and you have a lot of people out there telling you what interest rates are going to do in the future. But the fact of the matter is, they're all making an educated guess. At Ideal Home Loans, you can get the best of both worlds. If you lock in on a low below market rate with us right now, you'll be glad you did if interest rates move higher later. And if interest rates go down in the future, evolve by Ideal Home Loans, and our interest rate guarantee will let you take advantage of lower interest rates and secure a lower monthly payment, all with no lender fees. Call Ideal Home Loans today at 303 8 Six seven seven thousand to find out more. Talk to one of our salary-based lending specialists to find out how you can save. Is your current lender quoting you a rate that starts with a 6? If so, you're going to be overpaying. And at Ideal Home Loans, we can save you hundreds of dollars each and every month. Whether you're buying or refinancing, we can close your loan quickly. Even if you're under contract, we can meet your closing deadline. Call us today, 303-867-7000 or online, IdealHomeLoans.com. Equal Opportunity Lender, regulated by DORA, NMLS 136756. Did you know there are over 500,000 bison in North America today? Hey, guys, it's Derek Wolf for Great Range Premium Bison. Bison were almost wiped out by 1890. But thanks to bison ranchers, conservationists, and tribal leaders, bison are thriving today. Bison consumers provide the incentive to ranchers to bring bison back to native ranges and grasslands. So eat bison to restore bison and be part of this conservation success story. Great Range Premium Bison, a better bite of meat. Proudly served at Ted's Montana Grill. You can buy Great Range Premium Bison at local grocery and club stores. Get to greatrangebison.com. That's greatrangebison.com. Wendy's drive-thru is open until
2: midnight or later for all your late-night cravings. So, give in to what you want and order a Baconator even later. Hours may vary at participating U.S. Wendy's. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Zach
1: here. Whether I was playing basketball or later developing as a broadcaster, there were countless mentors who helped me get to where I am today. You can have that same impact. Get involved at denversports.com slash mentor. Be a mentor. Be a fan. KKFN. KKFN. HD1. Longmont Denver. Denversports.com. Awarded Denver's best website by the Colorado Broadcasters Association. And home of Denver's sports station. The Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets,
2: Avalanche, Rockies, and more, DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports tonight on this Tuesday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. We'll roll with you for the next hour as we're 24 and a half away from Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Nuggets down in Miami today. Doing like another media day, Mace. Man, this is starting to feel like the Super Bowl. So many microphones every single day. And I know they've played games, but... I think until the end of the series, we're just going to do podiums and hear from everyone pretty much every day.
0: Well, the other thing is today is basically the South Florida Media Day. You had the Denver Media Day last week in advance of Game 1, and now you have the Media Day for all the media down in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach that uh, didn't necessarily come up. That's that's kind of what this was. All right. They did plenty before Game 2, though. They did. And we'll see
2: how no. much they do on Thursday in between Games 3 and 4. But it just it has that feeling of like... Okay, we're almost out of things to say big picture wise. We can react game to game. And I'll tell you what the theme of the day was today, Mace. It was communication. I think that's what Michael Malone was so upset about after game two. He used the word effort. So that got a lot of headlines and it obviously should. It led Sports Center, whatever. Is it fair for coach to question effort? I think what he was most upset about, Mace, was their communication on defense was so poor that Miami was getting so many open shots, it looked like an effort issue when the reality was two dudes just were in the same place at once, leaving another guy wide open. That's communication, not necessarily effort. And today the narrative shift more towards communication.
0: Yeah, and I think part of it is you get farther away from the emotion of a game and then you have a more rational viewpoint of it. It's easy to talk about things like effort and say that was lacking right after before you've really dissected the game because again it's an emotional response right and it's and effort's one of those things that you can't quantify but you also can't deny like there's you, you can't get up there and say okay well that it clearly wasn't that it's it's in that kind of gray area but now here we are two days later and that's why I think you're hearing a more rational reaction, I think, from Michael Malone than attributing to effort what actually I thought was more errors of execution Mm. in the game rather than effort.
2: And that's a very important distinction because in sports, when you question someone's effort, that's immediately like, oh, you're attacking my manhood. You remember when John Elway, what was Mm. the word he used about the Broncos? Did he call him soft? Soft. I want to say it was Middle soft. of the
0: 2017 season, right? Um, and that
2: ticked those dudes off to no end because you can go up there and say, hey, they're not very good. Okay, you're just spitting the truth. But to call a football player soft,
0: kind of similar to questioning an NBA player's effort. Yeah, the thing is, though, when Elway called them soft, it didn't exactly help in uh, getting things turned around because they lost, I think, the next... Three games after that. They well, the all news, the Nuggets streak. are a little better than the twenty seventeen, <laughs> yes. bro. But you know what I'm getting at here. Oh, like, that, that is like to, to me. That is the one thing that when you're making a critique, whether you're a coach or a media, uh, in the media, that questioning the effort is something I think you should tread lightly on. Um, because again, I would say at least fifty percent of the time. When somebody says it's effort, it's actually not.
2: And that was the case in game two. Exactly. Like you said, you use the word execution, I use the word communication. Malone gets a first softball question. Jake Shapiro and I talked about this last night. And rather than answer the question, he goes, why are we talking about that? Let's talk about effort. Because that was a coach who was cartoon character steam coming out of his ears. And the first time he had a hot microphone, he was just going to spout off what he wanted to spout off about.
0: Yeah, I think if he had had that press conference on Monday morning, it would have have gone differently. Kind of like last year when the the Lightning and Avalanche were in the Stanley Cup Finals. And John Cooper had a very emotional response on the too many men uh, potential penalty there in Game 4. and The Nazem
2: Khadri OT winner. Yeah,
0: and then the next day he was decidedly more conciliatory in his response. I think if Malone had met the media Monday, he would have had a different tone that wouldn't have put the effort bomb out there.
2: Yeah, and that's what I wrote about at denversports.com today. I said, with time to cool down... Michael Malone vows the Nuggets will improve in Game Three. Right. he was he was much more measured today. He's had two sleep since then sleep uh, Sunday night, sleep Monday night. Does a presser today on Tuesday. Here's Malone. A little bit of what he said today about what he what he talks about with his team.
1: Well, honesty is not critical, so I don't I don't view it as being critical. I think it was an honest assessment of the game. And before I came out and sp- spoke to you guys, had the same conversation with our players never once will I come into a press conference to say something to you uh, that I haven't spoken to our team about. And our players owned it. I asked them after the game, why did we lose tonight? And they told me we didn't play hard enough. They told me we weren't disciplined enough. So it wasn't critical by any nature. It was an honest assessment.
0: Disciplined enough. See, that's, I, that I think is where it is. And that's where the execution comes in. Execution in terms of being disciplined enough to stay with what you're doing and not get caught out of position in the way they were on the defensive end.
2: And it was a really interesting soundbite if you list, listen closely. Because, yes, he was more measured. Yes, he was calmed down. But he also is just stubborn enough to, to, <laughs> to, not, yeah. to not say, yep. oh, I was wrong on Sunday night. He said, I was just honest. And I told my guys the same thing in the locker room. And then I stormed up to the podium and told you guys the same thing. So it was a little bit of a hedge of like, yeah, 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 cooler heads prevailed. But also, like, I wasn't lying yeah. because it's just a coach that doesn't want to admit that Yeah, ripping your guys after Game 2 of the Finals is, you know, it can go one of two ways. It it can either propel you into a a five- or six-game win, or Game 2 can be the moment, Mace, where it was an all-time, you know, they were 13-3 and in the playoffs and they just fell off a cliff and somehow lost
0: the Finals to the Heat. And I think it caught the national media off guard far more than those of us around here. Yeah. Because we've heard that sort of thing from Michael Malone many, many, many times before. It's just how he is. I mean, there's, again... one of the one of the things I like about him is he's got that edge to him. I feel like you can trust somebody who's got who has that edge and shows it rather than someone who's just always polished and perfect. I don't trust people like that. Oh, no, I but, trust people who reveal that jagged edge to their personality. and we see that from Malone quite a bit.
2: I'd much rather have a coach that is honest and raw mm-hmm. and occasionally says things he shouldn't than a coach who is just a robot full of cliches mm-hmm. any day of the week.
0: And Malone is not the cliche monster at all.
2: no. No, no, no. I mean, who? Where would he rank in terms of the Broncos' coaches you've dealt with over the years? In terms of the most raw, the most honest? Because I can't think of a Broncos' coach who was as this rough around the edges. Sounds harsh, but you know what I mean. Like this sort of blunt as Malone is. Vic
0: Fangio. Interesting. Vic was very blunt. That's a good one. That that Vic comes to mind immediately. Um, wishing Vic. Teddy a happy birthday and not Drew. Remember <laughs> that? Yes. Uh, Oh, and Mike close point out, it's Drew Locke's birthday too. It is. <laughs> it was Vic's response. Ugh. but also the thing with Vic is that like if it was clear that a guy wasn't in his good graces and sometimes he'd sort of ask a question leading and trying, you know, saying, you know, so and so had a, you know, just did, did a good thing out there at practice today and then uh he'd go on to like have three or four or five things that the player had to improve. Vic was blunt as a spoon, basically. But Hackett, yeah, didn't really do much for me. Hackett, okay, he was all like he was always Mister. He could be Mister. Sunshine, right when things were going well. But then it was like he didn't want to. He didn't. He wanted to be kind of like politically correct when he was talking about rivalries, like you know, like like he didn't couldn't he couldn't say he hated the Raiders. Oh yeah, you know. But I but I appreciate or couldn't that. say the yeah. losing
2: streak to the Chiefs mattered. Yeah. Cause he wasn't here for it,
0: yeah. And then you have other coaches that, like, you know, Mike Shanahan very much played the manipulation game. Yeah. You know? mm. uh, there's a saying that we used to have covering the Broncos that um, when Mike Shanahan said to be honest with you, you knew he was about to lie, and if he said to be perfectly honest with you, it was going to be a whopper. Really? Yes. Hmm. Okay. I like that. Yeah. That's 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 where what the, that's part of what we learned about the. I'd say in some ways, I mean, for bluntness, as far as coaches goes in this market, um, I'd say you could argue maybe he's the most blunt coach around here since his predecessor from way back in the 80s, Doug Moe.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, the the Brian Shaw era was so forgettable. I couldn't tell you anything about Brian Shaw. Uh, George, every once in a while, would, would give you a good bite or two for sure. And he could be blunt as well. He could. And Jared Bednar. Like, I think
0: Doug Moe was on another level entirely.
2: I love Bedsy, but I like me some Bedsy at a parade more than I do on a Tuesday night against the Panthers. <laughs> yeah. But but to be fair, that's just how hockey coaches are. Hockey yeah. coaches don't say anything. Bednar not unique in, in that regard. And then Bud Black, man. Bud Black's never found a story he doesn't like to tell, but
0: he also doesn't have the most fire to him by any stretch. Well, and it's probably good that a baseball manager isn't like that. You got, uh, I want my baseball manager
2: <sighs> throwing a water cooler onto the field every once in a while. Every
0: once in a while, but you know, you gotta be kind of the even keel. You gotta go through the ups and downs of a baseball season. That you know, you, you can't if if you're too volcanic in baseball, you will wear yourself out. You will you you will burn yourself out extremely fast. Uh, like so. Bobby Cox had that in him. Bobby, I think, was a, you know... Well, the thing is, he he got it off his chest with the umpires. Right. That was the thing. He wasn't that way with his players. Okay. I'm thinking of, like, someone like uh, Oral Weaver um, or, uh, you know, Billy Martin. That could be really combustible. Um, even a guy like, uh, like, like Ozzie Guillen, like, had a really short shelf life because he could be, you know, really... Combustible around the clubhouse. The
2: all time sort of hothead managers. Here's Nikola yeah. Jokic today talking about Michael Malone's criticisms.
0: Coach Malone was really um, kind of harsh in calling out the effort uh, of the team in game two. I'm just curious as to how you guys received that and how you responded to that when, when, you, when you heard him. Just um, question the effort.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're probably going to see it tomorrow. Did we respond? Are we going to respond well or not? Uh, but, uh, you know, you know but I, I mean, that's the that's, 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 that's answer.
2: I mean, that is the answer, and I love, Mace, that Nikola Jokic is doing the same thing there mm-hmm. that he did when he got the rest or rust question before game one. He said, oh, I think the rest was good because we got good practice in, but maybe we'll be rusty and maybe I'm lying and we'll find out in game one. And before game three, he does the same thing of like, I don't know if how we're going to respond to Malone's message. We'll see you tomorrow night. That is a guy through and through. We're going to let the action speak here.
0: Yeah, it's very much uh, if, if a Serbian was saying we're fixing to find out, as Gary Kubiak did, that's what it would sound like. Well, let's just wait and see. <laughs> I don't know. Let's wait and see. That's the thing. All right, but the good news
2: is you and I aren't Jokic, so we can make predictions. Let's yes. now spin this forward to Game Three, which again is a, is about twenty four hours and twenty minutes away, down in Miami at whatever the heck that arena is called now. It was the American Airlines Center forever, and then it was like a Bitcoin thing, and now it's something I couldn't even attempt to pronounce. I will let you do the honors if you would like. But more importantly, let's talk about the basketball game tomorrow night. The elephant in the room is, is how will the effort be? And Mace, how will the communication be? Because to me, the worry is, it wasn't good at home in Game 2. Will it get worse on the road in Game 3? And obviously a tougher atmosphere. One, that there will be about a dozen Nuggets fans in the crowd.
0: I have the exact same concern going into a hornet's nest in Miami tomorrow night. As far, If communication was the problem, I'm not sure it's going to appreciably improve Unless you have gotten off to a fast start and at least taken some of the edge and enthusiasm out of that crowd.
2: Mm. Because it's, it's one of those things where Miami's a good basketball crowd. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But there are plenty of, of examples over the years of the game starting with half-empty arenas because it's a late-arriving crowd games ending with half-empty arenas because they all run to the exits and then they're all trying to storm to get mm-hmm. back in when Ray Allen hits one of the most famous shots in NBA history. They're good fans when things are going right. Right. If you can take them out of it, that little too-cool-for-school-Miami, that can come
0: into play. South Florida sports fans are very chronic front runners. And I'm probably going to make them angry with what I'm saying here. Go for it! They're, I don't care. They, they, they'll bail on you, and they they'll bail. I'd say the the support can be mile wide, and inch deep down there. So
2: if the Nuggets, to your point, can uh-huh. take some of the air out of the building and
0: build a ten to twelve to fourteen point yeah, lead, yeah, it ain't Boston early. Okay, on, you'll be okay. It ain't Boston. Now the Heat went up to Boston and silenced that crowd. Okay, but this is not Boston. This is not New York. This is it's a crowd that will. And again, if you're trying to get, if you're trying to make sure the communication's on point you can take the, you can take the starch out of that environment to where you can ensure that your communication isn't an issue if that's it but then and then it leads to the execution and that's where and, and that's where i don't think the crowd's going to have a lot to do with it i think you're either you know you're either doing your job you're either you're either hitting the shots especially from outside and then for the heat that's a huge part of their equation when they're successful, they can they're knocking it in from deep. When they're failing, usually they're missing from deep. And uh, and whether they're whether they're on point or not. Because like the other thing that kind of overshadows all of this, I think, is it's as simple as if Miami is hot, they're living up to their nickname. It'll be tough, even if the Nuggets are playing well to win that game. But if Miami is just average, especially from deep. The Nuggets are positioned to win no matter where they play the game.
2: It's a great point because Miami's now 13-6 and six in this postseason, and you can sort of look
0: at the, the yes. numbers. When they shoot well, they win. When they don't shoot well, they lose. It's what kept them in the game and what got them off to a good start, kept them in touch during the game and allowed them to make the run at the end. I mean, sometimes sometimes we have a tendency to kind of look too deep. That's why you think, okay, effort, this, that, and the other. I'm looking like they were hot. Yeah. They, they, they were hot in the fourth quarter. And And let me make a quick point on that. That made a difference. The
2: Nuggets, Mace, against the Wolves could get away with letting certain guys shoot because no one could make shots. Against the Suns, you could get away with letting everyone but two guys shoot. And against the Lakers, D'Angelo Russell had one of the most horrific shooting performances we've ever seen. On Miami, Mace, maybe outside of BAM, there are very few guys that you can just say, oh, yeah, we'll just let them shoot. Because that worked against Phoenix when you're just letting other dudes chuck it up. That worked against the Lakers, everyone outside of Austin Reeves and of course LeBron and AD. That's not going to work against the Heat because all of a sudden eighth man Duncan Robinson will burn you, right? Mm. And that's a that's an issue. That's the first time in these playoffs where they have faced
0: a team where almost everyone on the floor can shoot the ball, right? And that's and the other thing that happens in that in that instance. I mean, the Nuggets still had their run, like they you know they they they. You know, they were. I wouldn't say lethargic, but they struggled at times on Sunday night. They had their run late first quarter, early second quarter, and you and I talked about this. One thing that distinguishes this Nuggets team is they have the ability to just overwhelm you, to be like a, a tidal wave, the, and, and there's no answer for it. What you learned against the Miami Heat is that this is a team that is strong enough, particularly mentally strong enough, to where... They can take that punch, but you don't knock them down. Like the, the punch that was a haymaker against the Wolves, against the Suns, especially in game six, against the Lakers, that's not enough in and of itself to finish off the Miami Heat. And maybe that's the best thing you got out of game two is no, because after. After the Nuggets made that run when they were, you know they fell behind twenty one ten and then they, they came storming back storming back at one point I think it was like 35-11.
2: yeah it was a huge second okay. quarter
0: yeah I mean you can depending on which stretch you take what you can you can, you can say that that was the big run they had and that has finished off everybody they've gone against so far except the Miami Heat and maybe it's better maybe it's not a bad thing to learn that lesson. Relatively, or at, at a point in the series where you've got you got a couple of days to sit back, get on the road, get away, get away from the support that you've got, and maybe everyone getting a little bit too cocky and refocus in a hostile environment. I I think the Nuggets are going to win tomorrow night.
2: Yeah, I, I feel that way too. But I think it obviously is going to come down to the initial crew, and the initial crew is MPJ and KCP, the guys who were both bad in Game Two. MPJ particularly was the one most people thought. Mm-hmm. Michael Malone was questioning the effort. Uh, let's hear from him today. He didn't speak to the media after game two, but he did talk down in South Florida. Yeah,
1: I think it's uh, both. We probably could communicate a little bit better and also just be more aware of the actions they're running, but also I think they're playing off of our coverages. They're hearing what we're communicating to each other, and then they're doing the opposite. You know, if we say switch, they're, they're slipping out for open threes. Um and then if, if we if we don't say switch, they're actually going to set the screen. So they do a really good job playing off of what our game plan is. Um, so that's what this film session was about this morning, cover, uh, just fixing some of that. So hopefully they don't get as many open shots.
2: Pretty insightful answer there from him. He pulls... Mm-hmm. The communication card too um, says that the Heat are, are just smarter. They're recognizing what the Nuggets are doing on defense, and it's leading to open shots for Miami. What did you make of MPJ there? Probably again the biggest disappointment from Game Two his worst of the playoffs, and most people think his head coach was talking about him.
0: Yeah, and I, I thought it was, and I thought it was fair and probably wise on Michael Malone's part to not name a name when he was saying that. I think it was fair to, to put two and two together, but I thought I thought MPJ had a very a, a very measured response and a very thoughtful response, honestly. And again, this is where you get a couple of days away, you get a chance to sleep a couple of nights, think about it, your the cooler head is going the cooler heads are gonna prevail. On all on both sides, both for MPJ and Michael Malone because this the team needs MPJ. To be at a better level, especially on the defensive end, if they're going to win this series,
2: yeah, absolutely, they're they not going to win a title yeah. without him. No, without him turning this around. So, after. a two poor shooting game.
0: So, in other words, it doesn't do you any good to kind of to to bury him and and, and just and, compl- and completely go at him. If you're Mike, Michael Malone, and if you're MPJ, you got to sit back and realize, okay, you know what has gotten me this far in the postseason isn't going to be enough now.
2: Take your medicine a yes. little bit and move on.
0: Uh, Have a little look. Having a little bit of humility is a healthy thing, and I think after after Sunday night, after that fourth quarter, I think everybody could lose a little bit dose of humility. Put the pause on the parade planning, yes, and let's go and win look, three I, more games. I, I I didn't tweet it. But I was thinking, playing the parade as I'm watching the second quarter. Yeah. I think most people in this town were.
2: I did tweet it, so yeah. I, I'm guilty of that. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple minutes left here, but so let's talk about what they did last night, which I actually think was really important. Jeff Green, veteran. He's played everywhere in the NBA. He's got a house in Miami. They all go over there for dinner. We find out about this through a chef, some great photos mm-hmm. of the team, the coaching staff, everyone doing a night at Jeff Green's house. Mace, that was so much better, and, and maybe they did it after, but I don't, I doubt it. Than the traditional South Beach night, but rather the team bonding, Jeff Green's house, get a really nice cooked meal, and uh, we can do all the partying we want all summer if we win three more
0: games. It was downright Popovichian. Ooh, okay. Explain. It's uh, something that, that Greg Popovich likes to to do with his team sometime when they're when they're on the road, and instead of everyone going out. We're going to you know, go have a really nice meal. It's going to be catered by a chef. We're going to have some nice bottles of wine. We're going to enjoy the evening. We're going to enjoy it together. Um, really cool to do that at Jeff Green's place. But I thought uh, when, I, when I heard about that, I thought that's that's a pro move. If wh- Whoever's idea was, whether it was Jeff Green's idea, whether it was Michael, Michael Malone's idea, someone else's idea, that's a, that's, a, that's a pro move, especially coming after a loss as well.
2: And we've heard Malone talk about it. He talked about this with Scott Van Pelt a couple weeks ago. This truly is like a college team. Yeah. These guys are so tight-knit because college basketball, they do everything together, mm-hmm. right? Whereas in the pro, these guys are pro athletes. They got a ton of money. They got families. Sometimes it's 15 guys, 15 limos
0: in the I like NBA. like
2: Yep. They're just coworkers. Yeah. These guys, I get the impression, Mace, it's, it's no BS. They're actually friends. Yeah. These, this is a tight-knit unit, like Malone said, more of a college team. and. You get proof like that. Hey, it's our first night in South Beach. We don't have to play till Wednesday. I mean, that's so tonight. we could all go out tonight. You could have
0: you could have gone and hit the town consequence free. Couple of nights to sleep to to sleep it off before you have to play. And nope. they went and I'm um, hey yeah they had a good time. There's no doubt they had a good time, but they did it in an env- in an environment that fosters team building. Not that they need any more team building, because again, like you said, it's a a college-like team. They've got, they're, they're on the same page, but I think this underscores a lot of the positive qualities that have gotten them to this point.
2: All right, coming up next, there was some confusion today about Dalvin Cook and the Denver Broncos. We'll tell you why we don't think, think it's happening, but should it? We'll dive in. Denver Sports Tonight
1: on Denver Sports Station
2: 1043 The Fan. Some great reaction on the Ramoslaw.com text line 303-713-1043 if you want to get in on the action. Uh Mace, you were telling me during the break, I just want to talk about this real briefly. So you were doing a little social experiment tomorrow night. Do I have this correct? Yes. Andrew Mason, guys, is going to the Rockies game on a credential. Because we're looking at it now, it's empty at Coors Field right now. I weather, I get it, but if it's empty now, Mace, how empty do you think it'll be tomorrow during Game Three of the NBA Finals?
0: I'm not should sure be any emptier than it is tonight, or it's been for some other games this year. I mean, like you go back to that Pirates series uh, back in April, and it, it was kind of a ghost town. Um, but yeah, like and I, and I and I include myself in this because I'm a baseball fan. Um, what kind of sports fans are uh, headed out to the, the ball yard to? Watch a fifth place team when uh, the city's second oldest professional sports franchise is in the midst of a taut uh, finals battle
2: I think looking you'll for get, its
0: first championship. I think you'll get some great human interest stories. That's, I really do. That's what I'm going down there for. Like, I, I like, you know, what's the reason? You know, what's the rationale? So, you know what? If you're going down to Coors Field tomorrow night and I'll be in the press box, but I'll be walking around, you know, hey, hit me up. Tell me, Tell me why you're there. Yeah,
2: I would love to know the answer to that, too. And Mm -hmm. I understand, you know, people all have their passions, and maybe you've had tickets for a while, but it's not like tickets are exactly hard to get to a Rockies game these days. I mean, you could go
0: tonight. Yeah. You could go Thursday afternoon. You could go Friday night, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, you know.
2: There are a lot of options. So if you're going uh, during the NBA Finals, Andrew Mason
0: will be one of the Braves. And how up-to-date are they going to keep people on the NBA Finals, too? Because here's the other thing. If I'm not mistaken, McGregor Square across the street is going to be showing... Thirty
2: dollars. Watch the Nuggets game. Thirty bucks. So it'll actually watch the television. It'll be more expensive to get into McGregor Square than it will be to get in the Rockies game tomorrow night. That's a
0: really interesting. That you know what that that is completely true, and the question is just what quality of seat that that it would actually be worth looking up. What kind of seat can you get for the same price as standing to watch? Nuggets Heat in McGregor Square.
2: Yeah, and that is fascinating.
0: I hadn't thought about that
2: dynamic. That the Rockies clearly want to make money off McGregor Square, which so is cool. It's
0: Thirty bucks, right?
2: Yeah, no one's hating on McGregor Square. It's awesome. But the fact they are going to host a dueling watch party against their team that that is interesting. Now I got to be careful here because maybe it's only for home games at McGregor Square. Maybe. Uh, do some investigation on that for us tomorrow night. If there's a road watch party at McGregor, Square. I will. I, I know there's one at Ball Arena, which makes sense, the home of the Nuggets. Find out for us tomorrow if there's one at McGregor Square too.
0: I will do that. I, I'll, I'll check that out. But let me, I'll just tell you right now, there are a lot of a lot of seats available.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, that's not shocking, right? Yeah. Again, isn't is, more than I expect. This is yeah. why, Mace. This is going to be fascinating. Who goes to a Rockies game competing against the NBA Finals? Me. Well, I know guys like Kyle Freeland are hoping for a rainout. Big Nuggets fan, Kyle Freeland. I don't think he would be too sad
0: if there was a rainout tomorrow night. And you know what? The way the weather pattern is this week, there's every chance that could happen tomorrow night. I don't think Kyle would be apologizing. I I want
2: to talk about this Dalvin Cook uh, thing. A little bit of confusion today uh, about Dalvin Cook, but it it leads to a larger, more broad conversation, Mace. So Mike Florio writes at profootballtalk.com. That the Broncos could have interest in Dalvin Cook if he's released. And he cites Mike Kliss of 9news.com, our Broncos insider. He says Mike Kliss of 9news.com says it could be the Broncos. Cliss gets on the old Twitter machine moments later and says, hold up here. This is a direct quote from Mike. Wait a minute. Here's my answer to someone who emailed my mailbag. Quote, As to whether the Broncos pick up a bona fide, like, say, Dalvin Cook, as many others have speculated, that is not what I'm hearing. I have not heard the Broncos will be in on Dalvin Cook if he's let go. So this created this sort of, I mean, first of all, like Mike Florio, but he was just flat-out wrong. He misread Mike's article to say that Mike was reporting the Broncos have interest in Dalvin Cook. Mike punches back and says, I haven't said that at all. But it opens up a broader conversation, Mace, They release Jacob Martin. They release Brandon McManus. If Dalvin Cook hits the open market as a
0: free agent, should the Broncos pounce? They should investigate. I'm not sure they're going to pounce, and I think there there are some teams that may pursue him more vigorously. What's going on right now is, first things first, if the Vikings can trade Dalvin Cook, they will. And there have been reports now, some of these reports are coming out of Minneapolis, St. Paul, that there are multiple teams interested. Now, of course, you know you could, if you're the team, you could kind of push that out there. Hey, we got a couple of teams in, and maybe, and uh, in, in particular, the teams uh, that are rumored to be interested in trading for Dalvin Cook are the New York Jets and the Dallas Cowboys. So, obviously, I think you take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. That they, the Vikings, may be trying to drum up a market if he does become available in free as a as a street free agent, absolutely you take a look at that and see. Even though you feel a bit better about where Javante Williams stands recovering from his knee injury and veteran running backs or running backs who can just step in and be productive in a pinch, they're not hard to find. I mean, Marlon Mack still hasn't signed with anybody, okay? Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Kareem Hunt. Elliott. Right. Yeah, There are guys whether you want the big name like a Hunt or Zeke Elliott or somebody who just fit well in the locker room last year like Marlon Mack, there are guys out there that you can bring in and they can be competent running backs in a pinch. With Cook,
2: though, you you tell me. You follow the NFL. I follow the Broncos. You obviously are our number one Broncos guy, but you follow the entire NFL closer than I do. Why are the Vikings ready to just move on from Dalvin Cook? It feels like he's still productive.
0: He's still productive. I mean there there are there are there are some contract concerns as well. They'd like to they'd like to create some space. I mean the thing is you're looking at uh, overall team building philosophy. They want to you know they want to get better on the defensive side. So, I mean Dalvin Cook, his numbers are a bit down, but not like where you're saying oh my gosh, like he's still averaged four point four yards a carry. And
2: like this DeAndre, past year. DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona. Let's be clear. That marriage is ending because DeAndre's at the end of his road, and the Cardinals are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL, if not the worst. There's already some borderline talk that they're tanking, so leaving DeAndre in the desert didn't make any sense. Whereas with Cook, I mean, the Vikings made the playoffs last year. They would like to think of themselves as contenders. I don't understand how a contender can be looking to get rid of a player that by all accounts, the second he's released, there's going to be five,
0: six, seven, eight suitors. Part of it also in Minnesota is you got Kevin Stefanski running the offense, right? And he's running the Shanahan McVeigh offense. The perception in that scheme is that it's not hard to find backs who can be productive. And certainly in the distant past, we know about that around here.
2: Solid first firsthand.
0: running backs in that scheme can be plug and play. They've, you know they they've got a couple of guys that they they like. They brought back Alexander Madison. They did draft Dwayne McBride in the seventh round, out seventh round pick. They have Ty Chandler, a guy they picked last year. But generally, but it's it's the way running backs are viewed in that particular scheme and that particular tree of thinking. That all right, we plug the next guy in. They're going to be healthy, and we're going to, they're going to be productive. And we're going to have them at a franchise of the a, a, a fraction of the press. I said franchise. I apologize. Dalvin Cook's got a twenty a fourteen point one million dollar cap hit this year. That is much more than you want to pay for a running back. And I think if Kevin, yeah, that's Ste- why
2: trading for him's out of the question. Yeah,
0: and and this is the thing. Like if you're Kevin Stefanski coming in. And you're looking at the overall management. Of course, they have a new general manager as well since that contract was signed because they fired Rick Spielman, who was, of course, George Payton's boss. You have new people running the show, and they're looking at it and saying, our equation, our team-building plan does not call for paying a running back $14 million a year. Okay? that And so that's something they're, they're considering. And also, here's an interesting thing. If you are into advanced stats... Last year, of the running backs that had at least 130 carries, Dalvin Cook ranked dead last in rushing yards over expected on, according to Pro Football Focus. So in other words, like, what did you get beyond what the, what the blocking should have gotten you? Dalvin Cook, according to those metrics, was the least efficient back in the league in that regard, wow. which can be perceived as the sign of age taking its toll on a guy who has been elite. He'll be 28 years old this August. He's So he's not ancient by any stretch. But if you're the Vikings, again, you have a coach and a GM that did not negotiate this contract with Dalvin Cook. They're looking at it and saying, we can get productivity for a fraction of the price, create some create some cap space to make some more moves because it's not very far off. They're looking at how do you re-sign Justin Jefferson?
2: Yeah. Well, and, he's going to be more important.
0: Right. So they're balancing what they feel they can get by within the short term with some long-term items on the checklist. And that's why it's, it's not that Alvin Cook isn't reasonably productive, but... They're seeing some indicators that say, you know what, his best days may well be in the past. We can create some space here, even though this guy's a four, four-time Pro Bowl. So
2: let's put this a bow on this real quickly from a Broncos perspective. Yay, nay, or maybe. I think I'm in the maybe category. It sounds like you are, too.
0: I'm in the maybe category. I think it's got to be at the right price. Um, if you're talking about more than $5 million a year for Dalvin Cook, I think that's where I'd... I'd probably pass.
2: All right, sounds good. We'll keep you posted on that. See what Dalvin Cook's future holds. Uh, He's going to be moved. We'll see if they can find a trade partner or if they end up having to cut him. All right, coming up next, Mace has some thoughts on the Live Golf news and how it could potentially rate to the NFL. Plus, two names we haven't heard or seen quite yet, Tony Brothers, Scott Foster, Game 3. Eh, we're fixing to find out.
1: Sports Station 1043. The fan presents
2: Denver Sports Tonight. All right, so the big story of the day in the sports world was, of course, the merger between the PGA Tour and the Live Golf Tour. Obviously, PGA is just getting absolutely killed for this. Uh, We're not going to reset the reasons why. I think you know they shamed this league, they said how bad it was, they used uh, a variety of different political tactics and then they caved within about a year to joining up to the, the Live Tour and taking the money. Obviously, Mesa's is a polarizing subject, a controversial one, but now that the, the, the Saudis have sort of taken control of the sport of golf, there is some talk that that they're going to try to get into basketball. They're going to try to get into the football, get into NFL. What is your take on you, and you can give us the broad take. Uh, I'm totally fine with that. But I think people want to know what other American leagues, specifically the NFL, this could now become a thing. Well, got to turn your mic on. It is on. There you go.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't touch it. It was on.
2: Was it? <laughs> yeah. It, well, it was. Anyway, I feel like Zach and Stoke. Sorry, we don't need to no, fight about it. That's okay. we,
0: we could. We could. We could play this up. Yeah. But here. But look, part of it is looking at. What this public investment fund, boy, isn't that a euphemistic name for this whole thing? Yeah. The Saudi Arabian, the PIF, the public investment fund. It's not just golf, okay? They have bought Newcastle United, a Premier League club in England. They ha- they are currently in the process of spending big to attract late career soccer players to come play Four teams in the Saudi Arabian League to boost that up. So it's, you see that they're bit by bit starting to get their tentacles into some different places. And the thing, it kind of hit me today the NFL, American football. We have seen in the last 60 plus years, we have seen two challenges to the NFL that were notable the AFL, American Football League in the 60s. Yep which forced a merger, and the USFL in the 80s. Both of them went about it with some similar ideas, particularly in trying to sign college players. So, if And that's where it would be interesting to see if they looked at this environment and said, all right, what if we just go up to a bunch of star college players, especially like this coming year? Where your top two, your top picks are probably going to be quarterbacks, right? And said, "All right, Caleb Williams, here's two hundred million dollars guaranteed. Ooh! Or to any free agent that whose contract expires, we're going to give you a contract. But instead of this business that the NFL has of having some money guaranteed or some not, okay, here's the money; it's all guaranteed.
2: All right, but let's be clear here: Are you talking about a new league? or Are you talking about them buying?" NFL teams, like say if the NFL goes to 36, 40 teams.
0: Okay, well, the thing with the NFL just buying the team straight out, are there 24 owners who would approve? I don't think so. One reason why you've seen, like for example, the Abu Dhabi group that bought into Manchester City uh, 14 years ago in the Premier League. Uh, one reason why you've seen them looking at the Premier League is because the NFL is kind of closed. There's a there's an approval process of the other, other owners required that isn't the case in the premiership.
2: All right, so if it, this
0: $200 million for Caleb Williams. Yeah. As an NFL player or as a player in their league? In their league. Okay. And what I'm saying is, like, it, they have the capital because the public investment fund has reportedly $620 billion at its disposal.
2: I mean... It's money we can't even. That,
0: they could that, that, buy every team
2: in the NFL, right. and have hundreds of million dollars, millions of dollars left over. I mean, that's fifteen times what the Walton Penner Group is worth.
0: Right. I mean, this is it's. We can't even wrap our mind around that. Much right. Money. It's ungodly money, basically. Um, now, what I think would happen if they did this sort of thing, if they said, "Okay, we're going to start a, comp- a, a league that's in competition and, and bids for players," you know, I think what I think what would eventually happen is something that happened today with the PGA Tour. They said. We just, we're just going to merge.
2: Hmm. And that's where I kind of talked about it with Chad and DMAC at the end of the drive. I said the NFL owners are not going to ever let this group in. And Chad was insistent they will if it's enough money. You think they will if it's enough money eventually in the fall? Eventually, but merge.
0: I think there would be a fight before. I do too. And that's a, what I think. fight, fight. slash bidding, bidding war which eventually and we saw like with with the American Football League in the 60s eventually the NFL said we're going to make it we're just, we're going to make a deal we're going to bring bring them in. Of course the USFL went out of business but a, you know a lot of owners in the USFL weren't as well capitalized to deal with that and then of course there were some significantly bad management choices on the part of that league. This outfit I think would go about things in a way that, where I think the result would be potentially more like the American Football League. And the interesting thing is, if you are if you're if you're the Saudis, we should be looking to say, okay, we're gonna sign these players, but set up a European American Football League where there's already shown to be interest and people will
2: watch talent. And I think today's developments prove that anything is possible.
0: After today, who knows what things are going to look like in the next 10 years? All right, let's that's f- the change. That's what w- that's what happened today.
2: Let's finish on a lighter note. You brought up a really interesting point, Mace. We haven't gotten Scott Foster or Tony Brothers yet in these NBA Finals. Will game three be the night we see one of the two
0: household names as an NBA ref? Oh, I hope not. But you're nervous. They're going to drop the officials tomorrow about 7 a.m. Mountain Time. We haven't seen them yet in every game that goes past. You start thinking, okay, could this be the one where we get one or both?
2: Now, if they were up 2-0, I'd feel worse about it. Yeah. 1-1, I guess
0: I'm not as worried. Maybe it happens if the Nuggets win game three, and you bring in Foster the Extender for game four. For
2: Drew, for Mace, I'm Will. Denver Sports Tonight on The Fox.